What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels. Just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. And I appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. Tell a friend about the show. Leave a comment on a social media post. Share it somewhere in the social media zeitgeist guys anything to help penetrate the goofy algorithms that we are all up against when trying to share our uh our things the things that we're making so uh stoked to get into this one i hope everybody is doing well out there we're uh shifting gears a bit this week and talking about event safety and uh operations management things of uh, that nature i've got scott davidson and jonathan alba from an organization out of austin texas called code four these guys handle all of the things you don't think about as an event planner as far as the safety elements and the things that go in to an organized run of show we talk festivals big concerts small concerts 
talking the horror elements of live shows as well as the beautiful things that happen within a crowd of people at music events. Uh, I had no idea what to expect out of this conversation. I typically am talking to musicians and bands that I really dig and have a lot more language for what I'm speaking about. So this was definitely a dive into a different area of things, and I really appreciated getting the opportunity to chat with these guys. I learned a lot, which I think is nice for me because I maybe find myself at live music events more often than the casual music listener. I work music events, so while I don't want all of my fun to be stripped from me because of my anxiety towards disasters breaking out or any of these wild things happening in a a large crowd of people, I think the education is helpful and, and gives me a different lens to see things through. So big thank you to Scott and Jonathan for jumping on the mics with me. If you're in a position of show producer, I would encourage you to reach out to these guys to learn more about what they do and what you might be able to do to ensure the safety of your event goers. All right. One thing before we jump into the chat, Portland, Oregon folks, December 15th, fifth annual Dan Cable presents holidays party is going down at mississippi pizza it's only 10 bucks 8 p.m to 10 30 p.m december 15th one of my favorite djs in the city vanport who's a previous guest of the podcast and favorite bands the frank Irwin quintet will be playing sets that night really stoked to have the holidays party back after its pause due to the pandy so come through for that if you are around and that's all the ramp We're going to get into episode 337 with Scott and Jonathan from Code 4 out of Austin, Texas. Austin, by the way, is home of two of my favorite current bands, one being Sun June, who I've listened to so much this year, and the others being a band called Good Looks, who I recently got to spend some time with and see play while I was in Boise last month. The sweetest dudes. Uh, I hope to get them on the cast sometime next year. And to play the episode out, we are going to feature one of their tracks. So stay tuned to the end for that. All the links for Code 4 and Good Looks and the podcast. If you want to keep up with me and DJ sets that I'm doing around town. Those are all in the episode notes for you to find. And we're going to get into this thing. Episode 337. Let's do the damn thing. You guys feel good about about jumping into this thing? Let's do it. Right on. Well, I'm excited. Scott isn't good. <laughs> Scott's gonna be excited. He is. He's. That's gonna be good. Wait, wait till he starts going. It's gonna be. Crazy. No, I'm. I'm excited to to chat with you guys and uh, find out more about Code Four event safety and and just. Uh, what you guys do over there to, uh, you know, ensure that there are some things in place uh, to, to make sure that people are safe at the events that they are attending. So I, I admittedly like feel very, I don't know, usually when I'm going into these types of conversations, I feel pretty informed about what I'm going to talk about, usually talking to musicians who I really appreciate their music and I'm able to dive into their records to get more familiar or I've seen them do a live show. So I I don't have as much to go off on um, this particular conversation. So I was hoping that 
maybe you guys could just start off by introducing yourselves and what code forward does and and what your roles are there sure well dan i just want to say thank you for um stating that up front you know it's it's okay to not know uh especially when it comes <laughs> to safety i've had to learn that um myself uh my name is jonathan alba i'm born and raised uh in austin from austin texas i'm very proud austinite and um, my role here at code four is, is overseeing really our business operations um, my background is in communication, cognitive psychology, and uh, research and innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, I've also worked at the fire marshal's office, which is, which is where I got introduced to Code 4 when Scott uh, and his team were actually working a festival. And so I got a behind-the-scenes look at how that was managed, and it was fascinating. So we've, uh, we've actually known each other since high school, we went to the same high school. Uh, nice. together. Uh, Scott was a little bit cooler than I was. Um, picture the guy in a leather jacket and I'm the guy in a baggy polo shirts. Um, but his mom taught my mom jazzercise. So we knew of each other, uh, but just never really ran into each other. And then we started to run into each other multiple times over the last five to seven years. And we really struck up a friendship and a business partnership during the pandemic when events went away. And so I came on board and, and really helped starting started to relay the foundation of Code 4 and start to rebuild the company because events um, went away. So I, fo I primarily focus on uh, marketing, sales, branding, internal systems, um, and getting the vision out of Scott's head and making it a reality, and also doing uh, business development. And so that's my focus, and I'll pass it over to Scott. And I've last thing is I've gotten a really unique um, – insight into this guy's brain, uh, which is fascinating when it comes to events and concerts and uh, esoteric events um, and how to hold them safely. So um, I'm really excited to dive into to that world with you today. Right on. Yeah, Scott, tell us what you, what you do at Code 4 and how you got involved in all of this. Sure. Uh, hey, Dan, thanks for having us on here. And uh, so my name is Scott Davidson, and I serve as the the founder and the CEO of Code4. Uh, day to day, my job is is kind of a chief architect or consultant on um, complex public safety challenges uh, for entertainment and government clients, and, and also uh, in the seat of CEO, overseeing um, a lot of the business functions um, and and focusing really on uh, vision and, and values and um, coaching. Um, coaching our team as as we've grown uh, over the years, I got into this uh, business uh, like like many people in entertainment. I kind of in randomly ended up in this space. Uh, my academic background is in criminology, uh, the scientific study of crime and how to influence it. And um, long story short, I put a federal law enforcement career on hold when I was introduced to events, and kind of through that lens, I saw an environment and an ecosystem in which. Um, many people were exposed to risk and, and were not aware of it. And um, I saw an opportunity to to really reimagine how these large scale mass gatherings are planned and executed. So after kind of creating a niche there for, for several years in large scale event management, I created Code 4. And um, for the past eight years, that's really been our, our, our sweet spot is keeping people safe. Yeah, Scott, are you the, the type of person that cannot go 
to an event without like analyzing Dan, everything that is Dan, happening around Dan, you. And you don't want to go to a concert with me. <laughs> uh, I am exactly that guy. Uh, my head is on a swivel. I'm looking at people's hands. I'm critiquing every little uh, cross-contamination or breach of security or whatever it might be. Um, we went to a concert on Friday and you were pretty well I was well good. Made. I that was a good. great yeah. venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would you say like, you know, early on maybe inspired or made you feel like you had a lot to offer, I guess, like in, in this area of things, as far as actually getting your own organization up and running. Yeah. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, so much of our job is just being translators. You know, I, I speak government and I speak events. Um, and fortunately, the intersection, that intersection is where our business really lies. And early on, you know, thinking back to the very first event I ever worked, I was immediately being pushed to the police, pushed to the fire marshals, right? These folks that are viewed as being these adversarial policymakers and here to be party poopers and everything else. And, and so uh, it became really clear that there's, there's a disconnect. Um, and in order for things to be properly planned together, and managed, we've got to build that bridge. Um, and so that I think has kind of been our sweet spot is, is being that translator and helping achieve the objectives of both the entertainment industry and government, which in in almost all cases is aligned around safety, you know? So that's kind of where it, where it began. Yeah. And what would you say your initial like biggest challenges were of, of getting it off the ground and, and creating those, you know, bridging those gaps like you're talking about. Initially for me, it's, it's just trying to get folks to talk to one another. You know, when you, when you're looking at a large scale event, everybody knows that you need to hire police, you know, you need to have medical folks there, you know, the fire marshals, they're involved and they've got, they've got their role and, um, and it really expands beyond that into every department within the large scale event ecosystem. And, and what we found is, is the, the necessity to set the table to engage in conversation, whether discourse or collaboration or otherwise, just to get the collaboration flowing. Um, and once that table is set, that's when we can start to make progress towards kind of laying the groundwork towards what could be a successful event. But oftentimes these folks, they work in silos and even practitioners in our space in event safety, they're often just kind of wearing one hat. It's a security guy or, you know, it's a firefighter who knows medical stuff. Um, and, and so, uh, for me, it's just getting that table set and, and, and getting egos set aside um, as you can imagine, in government space, particularly, or the first responder world, uh, egos are pretty pretty predominant. And so we've <laughs> we've learned a, a craft to kind of level the playing field um, and to allow these folks to work together as peers. And is like, would it be too broad of a question to ask, like, what were some of those like initial principles and standards that you had in mind for Code Four that that you all operate? under like is there a lot of different companies doing exactly what you guys do and and you just saw a different vision for it uh, it's not too broad a question it's an interesting question right you know to answer there's a, there's actually nobody that does uh what we do and, and to back that up what i mean by that is is actually going back to my previous point 
um, we're we bring all of these different resources, philosophies, and and really industries or, or um, occupations together into one. Um, so on our team, we literally our full time staff is uh, paramedics, uh, fire marshals, you know, retired police officers, uh, academics, social psychologists. You know, like the list goes on. And, and really, what what we've built is a team that can assess mitigate and manage risk all-encompassing ranging from traffic control engineering to meteorology to site design to stage engineering to communications i mean the list goes on um and and there's really not not any other organization in the united states that that has that kind of all hazards all risk approach to what we do for sure Yeah. It's easy for me to like know where maybe, uh, what a firefighter's role might be on site, but you know, you're talking about like psychologists too. So like what, where, where did those people come into play as far as, uh, contributing to this organization? Well, I'm going to, I'll answer briefly and probably pass it over to Jonathan as this is kind of one of his, uh, core competencies here. But what I'll say is that when you think about concerts or you think about these music festivals, you you know the the impact that the artists have on on the audience, right? You think of that as the primary means of communication. There's so many other opportunities to engage with those patrons that can p- promote and contribute to a safe environment, you know, and and uh, ranging from the way that the show is marketed to the to the way that we're communicating with fans prior to their arrival what are we priming those fans to participate in what are they signing up for and what's their role in this you know um down to uh the signage that you that you see as you approach the event as you arrive at the event what's being communicated to you uh, when you're arriving there you know i I could go on and on they make fun of me because i often (laughs) I'm looking at odor even. Yeah, what are you, you smelling? Know? Yeah, what are you smelling? <laughs> what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Um, and and the, the the moral to this long-winded answer is is behavioral design is so important in what we do. And, and time and time again, we can look back at these disasters that have occurred and look at missed opportunities to engage with the audience in a pro-social, pro-health and safety way to help achieve these positive outcomes. Uh, done. Jonathan, did I leave anything out there? I don't think you did. Yeah. I mean, Dan, on, honestly, we have like a code for smell, um, like at events. So we can usually tell when Scott's been to the site. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, we're trying to influence behavior, uh, especially when large amounts of people are gathering. Um, there's a, a, a tendency, um, not a tendency, but there's a real opportunity for things to go really wrong. And so yeah. uh, to Scott's point, uh, when you start early, um, you give yourself a better chance of of having positive crowd dynamics. Yeah, it's funny. Like I don't know that like any of those things are like registering to me like in real time, but that makes so much sense. Just like what you're saying about like signage or just the way like I'm seeing an event promoted, maybe even through Instagram, you can get some sort of maybe vibe of like whether it's like well organized or if it's going to be a super rowdy bunch maybe but um it's it's interesting to just like think about those those small things that are definitely uh definitely contributing yeah i mean pointing back to like my my academic background in criminology it's it's similar similar philosophy right it's the it's the small nuances it's this theory based influences on behavior 
um, that I and maybe in a way subconsciously or sometimes consciously have kind of carried over into to our work. Yeah. And I think like for someone like me who maybe goes to like a fair share of festivals throughout the year or just like large concert events, especially with the the festivals, if it's a new one, like there's so many variables there that you don't really know what you're walking into. And like we've all seen I mean, I, I would imagine at at this point, you, both of you have probably seen the Woodstock 99 documentaries and like horror, absolute like horror shows that have happened. And like, it's, uh, I don't know. It seems like people can definitely set you up for some scary conditions if, if the right things aren't like planned out. For sure. So uh, I think this year I introduced Scott to the, uh, the original Woodstock. We, we watched that on, um, the PBS, a phenomenal documentary. You were pretty livid and <laughs> watching that uh, with their, um, you know, medical and security choices. But regardless, they weren't up to date yet. Scott. Yes, it wasn't. That, we started with the original, and then we were constantly on these calls with um, people not really in the industry, knowing what we did, and they would keep recommending this this show that you just mentioned on Netflix. And so Scott and I both attempted to watch it. We couldn't get past the first episode. It was infuriating, Dan, and it was really traumatic for us to watch um, because that's what we go up against uh, in our business. And the wild thing to me was those folks were experienced event producers. They knew better and they still played. Um, they basically gambled with, with people's lives. And so, uh, you know, it highlights the importance of the work that we do at the same time. It was also just really hard for us to watch that because that's what we're trying to prevent against. And it's so preventable. Um, we know how to prevent those types of things from happening. And so it's a little, to be honest, sickening to, to watch that kind of be glorified um, in a documentary. Yeah. So are you guys approaching existing events and large concerts um, and trying to implement yourselves in, into them or is it usually something where people are reaching out to you beforehand and saying hey we've got this festival or we've got this this large concert event and we would like to partner with you guys to make sure that things go as well as they can on, from on a safety front yeah good question so in terms of like where our business comes from it's like 99 percent um inbound so it, we're in the business of trust um, and ultimately, uh, that can it's hard to affect when we're reaching out, introducing ourselves. What's actually kind of fascinating is most often we're introduced to our clients by the government, uh, by government agents who who have an understanding of of what needs to happen to get where they need to be, um, and, and they really need somebody like us to sit in that seat to help guide our clients into making smarter decisions and into laying the groundwork to where we can be compatible with one another. And of course, there's a good amount of word of mouth. You know, often people call us uh, early on um, to, to get ahead of potential issues. Um, yet the reality is we're often called once things have already kind of uh, taken a turn. And uh, and so we, we definitely play our fair share of a festival rescue, per se. <laughs> uh, I joke we should have a reality show uh, one day, but um, yeah. So it's it's a little bit of a of a blend. 
I think if I think like yeah that that'd be a perfect reality show. I think there would be so much so much good <laughs> to, that that people would uh, be entertained by. Our clients not. might not think so, but like <laughs> the viewership would be into it. I, I mean, at the time they don't, but they're always super thankful when the insurance check comes. And <laughs> so, do you have to go at it from much different approaches then? If you're starting from the beginning opposed to being kind of like thrown in mid planning to an event uh yeah i mean it's definitely a different approach and and where we are most successful is in novelty new events new locations where we can help inform uh planning efforts from the beginning right we can lay the groundwork and 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 set up a um the foundation for the rest of the event to be built on top of um, when we're coming into environments that are um, pre-existing um, uh, events we we often um, like in our government work are, are up against appeal to tradition and so it makes uh, change a, a whole lot harder understandably so it, it's definitely a different approach um, we, we certainly like to be brought in early on not only newer events but new in the plan or early in the planning process you know, starting from site selection and, and just the beginning preliminary design um, is kind of where we're where we're strongest. Yeah. And am, am I right in assuming like the government connection comes from because it has like all of these things, if they're like festivals, have to be planned through the city. And that's kind of how it gets relayed to you. Yeah. So I guess there's two kind of primary pieces to that. The first is that the government agencies are the agencies having jurisdiction. So in one way or another, they have to kind of approve what's going to happen through the permitting process, through commissioner's court, city council, or whatever. So there, there is there is a, a authoritative function there. And then the second part of that is that these government agencies are often participating in the actual execution of the event, rendering services like law enforcement or EMS or otherwise. So there's this kind of uh, cohabitation or duality in the role there, both of which are 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 um, you know really tied into the type of work that we're doing, and For we sure. also work on the government side of things too to help the government uh, not only uh, host, plan, and execute um, these these events that are that are hopefully there to create uh, mutually beneficial win wins for the community in which they're hosted. And is most of the work that you're doing actually on site in preparation for the event to start or is it ever a thing where you're walking into an event for the first time like onto a site first time day of an event we typically do not walk uh onto site day of scott has been bar rescued or event rescued out day of just to, for extra measures, but that's not a code for run event. So typically what we do is um, engage in the planning and management or consulting phase. Uh, Scott mentioned and kind of spin up plans, walk with our client through that whole entire planning process. If it's in central Texas, we have a, a separate company called code for emergency services that actually executes on the ground services. So that's your medical, your law okay. enforcement and fire. Um, we typically don't travel. We'll usually manage third-party vendors if we're out outside the state of Texas. Yeah, I would imagine just having that whole emergency team that's actually linked to you guys is pretty key, and not just having 
a third party that you're not as familiar with and they kind of understand all of your your practices and guidelines yeah a hundred percent and we got really frustrated with managing other third-party vendors and trying to push them to provide the level of care that is needed on an event site and so that's when we created that that spinoff and so we've got a we're really proud of uh the work that we do there um both on the entertainment side and on the government side we um have a, a great team of first responders uh, who are well trained in event medicine and also disaster medicine and whether it's like pre-planning or like the stuff that you're doing on site leading up to the event like what are some of those like big things that you're trying to check off your list as far as what's going to ensure the safety like is there kind of a top five or is it like way too many to even list it's a great question you know there, there's of course those areas that are fundamental you know using weather as a as a you know core example or um you know the intersection of vehicles and pedestrians you know the, the, that type of thing but really it varies event by event um location by location day by day um it could be a criminal street gang uh one day that was unanticipated uh it could be um you know um a, a train with hazardous material that's that's uh come upon the event under uh what i'll call um not ideal circumstances um, really our job is to assess hundreds if not thousands of risks simultaneously and to identify those worth mitigating because these these event organizers like everybody else have scarce resources so we're not able to mitigate every risk that we encounter which means that we have to knowingly leave alone uh, a, a large number of these things and focus on what is most critically important to protect uh, those patrons, the staff or, or, or artists. So in that sense, we're kind of futurists of, of risk because it's our job to look in the future at what has the greatest impact on, on the operational integrity or the safety of, of the event. Yeah, sometimes it's like literally like rattlesnakes in the field i mean there's like there's weird one like what's your what's your favorite one that you <laughs> mitigated against i don't, I, I don't even have a favorite I mean, yeah there, i i'd continue to be surprised <laughs> one year there was a gang war going outside a festival we were doing in houston so that was a pretty big one what el paso was the what was going on at which day <laughs> <laughs> it's always something dan it's, yeah it's um it, it really just depends on the band that's playing and again, location. It, it, I mean, we're in an ever changing world, so it's dynamic. So, yeah. And, and, and it's like, um, uh, the, the planning, the planning and operational components that we are building are of course, to your point, anticipated risks, you know, that, that are discovered along the, that planning process. It's also building the system to manage the unanticipated risks that pop up uh, immediately before, during, or after these programs. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's it's great to like hear about those particular things or even just like maybe what's happening in the neighborhood or the train that you're talking about that may have like left all this like toxic stuff in the air. Like, cause those, when, you know, when I, you know, thought about having you guys on, 
those were not the safety things I was thinking about. Like I'm, I'm thinking about like crowd control and making right. sure like there's water on site and emergency services. I'm like, so I think it's like very interesting to, to find out that you guys are thinking about things that are like very much like far outside of that. Like all of these variables of actual, like what's the culture of the neighborhood that this event yeah. is in and things like that. It's not just you, Dan. I mean, the overwhelming majority of risks that are that these event patrons are exposed to are not perceived. They are not diagnosed. They are unknown. You know, you, you've got weather, right? There's a thunderstorm. Got it. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, much of this, and, and for good reason, is is not on your radar. Um, and it's it's the job of folks like my, myself and our team uh, to protect you against those things, so that you have a right to go to these events and be safe. Uh, you bought a ticket and. Um, and that's why we're in place. It, we're kind of operating in the background too, you know. Are we talking about like as specific as knowing who maybe that like closing band is on a like a festival and like what kind of energy that that is going to create for these people that are departing the gates of this event? It's interesting you describe it as that specific. I mean, that's fundamental. Yeah, of course. So researching the artists, their you know their entourages, those who follow them uh, for with positive or negative intent, um, the crowd dynamics present, what happened in previous markets, you know, what has new albums contributed. It's 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 a whole lot of uh, intelligence gathering on on artists, uh, which in a festival setting. Uh, depending on the on the demographic or the genre, especially, can be quite a job in and of itself. Um, and then monitoring social media on top of that as it relates to those artists and what's going on. And yeah, that that that's a big one. Yeah, that's. I would imagine that the festival provides like a different level of complexity, especially when you're like talking about stuff that is very like genre fluid and there's not really anything to like pin down in, in a particular place. So you just kind of have to like, you have to go off your, your big headliners kind of more for those types of events. For sure. The headliners and, and also, I mean, Dan, there's some events where we have more issues with artists than we do patrons. And I, <laughs> I mean that like wholeheartedly. So it's like, it's not just the artist there and their profile. Do they get along with the other artists? You know, what's the story there? What are we up against? What do we need to protect against? That's real. Um, and, and again, can we, we have events where far more of our energy is backstage than front of house. That's wild. <laughs> and it's solely just like on them getting along with people and them wanting to like actually listen to the authorities in place about what needs to happen at these events. Yeah, I mean, how they treat one another is one thing. How they treat the patrons is an is an entirely different uh, topic. You know. Yeah. Is there is there a lot of uh, thought that has to like go into as well of like what these people can bring on stage then too as a part of their productions and you know like hell oh, you can't be shooting these out into the crowd or like <laughs> you can't can't have this as a part of the the stage presentation. Yeah, there's definitely a piece of that, you know, on the production side of things, um, their stage set, their their pyro, their, you know, special effects that that is certainly uh, an entire um, 
area that we that we work on um what what more and more we're interested in is what are they saying in between their songs or during their songs and, and it's typically in the in the topic of organized crowd movements so as an artist i have a duty and um part of that duty is to not encourage you to do harmful things that have a proven track record of of having negative outcomes so yeah. um you know everybody everybody do this everybody do that is is can be a recipe for disaster and something that we have to set some really hard boundaries on and you can you can google some uh instances in which that that hasn't worked out well you know yeah i would imagine that one of your like nightmares has to be like it's it's pretty I would say typical or something common that happens at, at very large metal shows where they split the crowd down the middle. You've, have, have you witnessed this particular thing where they split the crowd down the middle and have everybody charge at one another? You know, it might surprise you to hear this. That's not one of my favorite things to encounter uh, <laughs> in our world. I can actually honestly say I've never experienced, and well, probably for good reason, but I've never experienced the actual i think that's called the wall of death um not at one of our events knock on okay. wood um, but yeah dan that's a perfect example of organized crowd behavior um that can can lead to to negative outcomes and, and goes into part of the messaging um as to what boundaries are in place for this type of event and whatnot yeah well i'll tell you scott i as especially as a teenager i love to jump in a circle pit um, a friendly circle pit, not, not particularly one where, you know, yeah. the most alpha dudes are in there just trying to knock people out, but it's, it's definitely not something that I will, uh, run the risk at like a very large event because it just seems like there's too many variables and that it's way less likely that someone's going to be able to pick me off the ground if, if, uh, if it comes to that. I think you said something that resonates with me. I think you called it a friendly circle pit. That's important too, you know, because culturally at some of these events, while there is that crowd activity that is less than desirable, that give people like me uh, a lot of grief, there's also a spirit and culture of taking care of one another. And it's Absolutely. at those shows when you hear things like um, an, an artist, we talk about saying things into the microphone. Right. So on one end, you have an encouraging, just egregious violence or whatever. And on the other hand, you have messages like if someone falls, pick them up. Now, you hear a lot of that type of messaging at, at, at rock shows and, um, you know, applying that to some of the other genres could have gone a really long way if that type of message had been promoted, that if someone falls, pick them up. So I, I don't mean to hate on on all uh, rock shows or, or those that have a little more activity because there is some of the most loving audiences can be found at those at those shows and you can feel it. And it means a lot. Yeah, I think I, I just continue to gain more respect for the artists that I see who are dealing with like a very large crowd of people and it becomes it's somewhere in their vision they see somebody go down or something wrong and they are able to actually like see it and then stop what they're doing realizing that it's bigger than the performance totally. or that particular song that they're in and try to help however they can like whether that's because like with the the crowds that big i was thinking about this today as far as like 
things to ask you guys about or like your thoughts on. It's like when you have a crowd of thousands of people and someone is having a medical emergency in the middle of this crowd, like how do you deal with crowd control? How do you make sure that a medical emergency responding can get to where they need to be to to help that person out and it just seems like it's so huge to at least have the artist on stage recognize that and being able to to tell people to clear a path or whatever they are trying to do to help the situation yeah no doubt i mean what you're describing is in in our terminology show stop uh fundamental in our plans and and the, the, the importance there is to to help create an environment in which uh, first responders can do what they need to do to protect folks. And, and most often it's the actual crowd that will extract those that are in medical distress and, and get them to the outskirts. And that's just a, a, a beautiful phenomenon that occurs. You know, that's not even something that we have to message. It just happens. And for that, we're really grateful because we're not able to, to access folks and appropriately diagnose and administer care in that environment. Yeah, but yeah, the show stop is is so important, and um, you know there there's plenty of examples of of when that did not occur, and the show carried on and, and just really uh, perpetuated an unmanageable situation. But to your point, though, like we see more and more every day artists that are bought into those show stop protocols and and helping to literally direct resources to that patron because from where they're standing, just like the cameras above, they have a unique perspective to see it. So there's a reason yeah. why they're the ones calling it out because they're up on stage. They get to see that. Right. Um, so it's Absolutely. pretty cool. Yeah. I think everybody maybe uh, just was, it seems like a lot of people were pretty affected by that Travis Scott festival that happened and like just that kind of like a horror show that, that went on there. And I, I feel like ever since then I see even more artists like making it a priority to make sure that people aren't, put in super bad positions like i've seen as of late like over summer being at a festival and watching an artist like yelling like where is the emergency service like i'm i'm telling you that there's like an issue right, right here like where are you like we need someone right now so it's nice to see like there's a little bit more urgency maybe after something like that happens yeah, you know, it's hard to find good and preventable strategies like that. But one thing that has remained consistent after the one you mentioned and, and at many, um, you know, critical incidents at events is it, it, it encourages an environment where we can learn from our uh, of our mistakes and implement new practices and procedures. And, and that honestly helps propel our work um, because, um, you know, when we have some sort of, of, of bombing that happens, well, guess what? I, I have a much easier time getting the type of resources that I need to protect against that. And, and the unfortunate reality is that it's often those critical incidents that, that pave the way for some meaningful change. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall of over 200 bottles. The fall and winter months are upon us and North 45 has a rotating cocktail menu to keep you warm throughout the rainy and cold season. The rosemary garlic fries are my go-to item on the food menu. The fry sauce is absolutely lights out and their kitchen staff is always getting creative with daily food specials. 
Aside from it being a great neighborhood bar for food and drinks, they've got one of the best patios in the city, which is heated and covered. The patio has a ton of TVs, so you can watch all of your favorite sports. And on Sundays from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., they've got local DJs spinning jams, curating the music, both on the patio and inside the bar. So come through for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. Has there ever been a situation where you guys have been like pretty involved in the planning of an event, but then you actually show up there and things are not the way they were supposed to be? And like you either have had to pull the plug on an event or personally like kind of pull your endorsement of this particular event? Are you reading my diary, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> uh, short answer, yes. Um, you know, it, it absolutely uh, happens. And and those outcomes that you described uh, happen to us. Whether um, we make the unfortunate decision that, that uh, a particular event or program is no longer uh, aligned with our values um, and we have to make a decision to, to exit, um, or, or in other cases, um, other other players in the in the in the ecosystem have not um, stepped up or, or followed through with their role, and and we've had to uh, mitigate against an internal threat, in a sense, uh, to make up for um, maybe um, failures along the way. So yeah, it definitely happens, and and there are other times when when we have to advocate that an event does not continue. Um, and we'll, of course, begin with our clients. And there's times when uh, we have to turn to our government partners and say, hey, we're, we're, we're done here. What is like the smallest event that you guys have taken on? Hmm. Interesting question. Small as in, uh, well, so. Like attendees. What attendees? Yeah. So I, yeah. when I started doing this, I measured the size of events in my mind by attendees. That's kind of shifted over time. In fact, I'm no longer pursuing the, just the large numbers. Um, we find ourselves, like I said, again, more more involved in complexity, um, risk, and um, often budget. Um, so we might be working on, my gosh, even a wedding. I never thought I'd do weddings. But we might be working on a wedding, um, yet that wedding, uh, you know, and, and, and maybe for a couple hundred people uh, in terms of occupancy, um, but that wedding, you know, takes place in a foreign country on the top of a mountain that's only accessible by foot um, with a multi-million dollar budget and um, with um, heads of state or with, uh, you know, high net worth individuals. So um, we we have a quite a spread on the number of folks there. What what tends to vary is the type of, of risk and the complexity of operations, because a lot of what we do is also just in operations. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. I guess I was asking cause I don't know how it is in the, in the Austin area, but like in the Pacific Northwest house shows are so popular here and, um, they're just like an important part of the, the DIY scene and the, the spirit of the, the music scene. So I was just curious if, is there any sort of advice that you could give to those throwing those shows like simple things that should be in place for people having probably way too many people in a space that is uh it's not intended to be for got it 
Well, I guess first we we are involved in on uh, every day are at small shows and small venues and and so the nature of our work it varies quite a bit. But we provide medical care and and consultancy and government relations to some of these some of these well-intended um, growing uh, markets and partners. I'm curious when you think about those events. I'm not. You might may may or may not be attending them. I don't know. But what what stands out to you as the risk as you as you look back? I mean, it's it's typically the exit situation, right? Like if it's yeah. in a basement and there's not a door from the basement to outside, I think that's usually the the biggest concern. Agreed. What do you do when you go to those shows to to help uh, feel safe? I probably just hope for the best, Scott. <laughs> to be honest, like I don't know, I'm I guess like I pay attention hopefully to where those things are and maybe I find myself a little closer to those stairs back up to the yeah. main part of the house, but I can't say that I guess I don't want to I don't want to think about it all of the time. So, and maybe after this conversation, I'm going to go to concerts with a lot more anxiety than I had before. But well, I hope that's, that's not your takeaway from this conversation. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. No, I think this is. I think this is great. Like, like I said, I'm like just learning so much. Just even, you know, sure people listening are like, again, just thinking outside of those main things that you think about, like the medical responders like first responders and making sure that there's enough resources on site, but not thinking about all of these other nuances of the situation. So, but I, I guess I'm usually just trying to be caught in the spirit of the music and hoping that nothing, nothing goes wrong. Yeah. I, what I would say, which this is a, probably a wish is don't assign your security and safety budget to your ticket sales. So having that set aside first and not compromising on that, because mm. if something goes wrong, your event is toast. Like you won't come back from it if there's yeah. a really severe incident or uh, God forbid a death. Uh, the second is just ask for help. So oftentimes folks will reach out to us not kind of knowing what we do, but hearing like that we can come with like a med bag. It's usually my favorite. Hey, can we get some folks out there with a med bag? And uh, we have to, you know, what are you up against? You know, what do you got going on? And, and it turns out that there's like usually a person who's really good at operations, who's also trying to oversee public safety and do 15 other things. And so one of the thing, the clear thing is just ask for help. Um, I think it's just coming from a place of humility and recognizing what folks don't know and that it's okay to admit that. Um, I talked to quite a bit of young or up and coming events that are just trying to do everything by themselves. And it, I think it's actually humorous to me because it limits their growth. Mm. Um, Cause usually they're pretty good at the marketing, you know, selling tickets, booking uh, the, the artists. And if they could outsource some of the things that, uh, they're not super good at. Um, they could get a foundation and actually grow their events. So um, those are just some of the things that have uh, occurred to me and and talking to a lot of young um, event professionals. Yeah. Speaking to what you said, Jonathan, as far as like, you know, making sure that you have like a solid budget and not really, you know, connecting that necessarily to ticket sales. Is that something that's pretty easy for the people that are coming to you guys like 
to, you know, bring on your services? Is that something that they understand pretty well? Or is that something you're constantly having to kind of like hammer home as far as like going, going all out on that security budget or the safety budget? I wish they'd go all out. Scott would, would <laughs> have a field day with all the things that he uh, would get get to do. I'd say it's about 70-30. Um, we deal a lot with very seasoned event um, producers and professionals that like don't won't, won't compromise. Those are our favorite. It makes it super, super easy. Um, the other subset, there's coaching involved. Oftentimes, they've never encountered a company like us. And so we're having to coach them uh, and how to create that, that budget um, or what they want to invest in and safety and, and security. And most oftentimes it's tied to ticket sales or, you know, there's an investor, the investor isn't really um, keyed in on the risks that they're signing up for by investing in uh, putting on live entertainment. And so there isn't much thought of risk and safety. And so the thought is, yeah, let's just get some medical professionals and, you know, some security guards or police officers and we'll be okay. So a lot of it is, is, diving into, you know, what are you up against? Oh, you're having an event in the middle of nowhere out in a field. Well, that sounds uh, a little <laughs> risky. What are you going to do if someone, you know, goes down or there's a fight? So it's, it's yeah. kind of walking them through the scenarios that they haven't necessarily thought of. Um, so yeah, for sure. That and educating, educating clients on the drivers of these expenses, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of different factors, but taking the time to help them understand um, what influences these costs? Because, you know, it's not like stage lighting, where if I cut the budget on stage lighting, we just have less lighting fixtures and the show doesn't look so pretty. And that's a decision that that one could make. Well, when you talk about, you know, security guards, I, I can't arbitrarily cut the number of security guards without influencing the number of access control points that we're manning or the number of, you know what I mean? So it. Yeah. it it's not an elective often um, decision necessarily. And so we have to take the time to kind of walk through that. For sure. Do you guys have anything that you think is like important to add before we wrap up? I'll certainly like put all the links in the episode notes so people can, you know, check out the website if they're looking to uh, inquire about services or just, you know, getting more of a, a rundown on what you all do with code Four. I just wanted to piggyback on, um, I turned a question around on you earlier and I asked what it is that you do when you're at events to help feel safe. And, and unsurprisingly, you gave a great answer. And I just want to kind of highlight that. And it really goes back to just being aware of your surroundings. And as you settle into these event environments, just, just take note of, of what is around you. Where are the emergency exits? Who, who is in charge? And um, how can you put yourself in a position um, to take care of yourself um, and, and trust your gut? Uh, when it's time to, to get out of there, it's time to get out of there. So I, I just want to shine a light on, on your response there and, and encourage folks to, to just be aware of your surroundings as you settle in. It's so important. Where's the medical tent? Absolutely. It's like that. Yeah, Where's water? That's a, yeah, for sure. Like the medical tent thing, even, you know, walking into a festival, especially when it's like such huge grounds to know where that's at because you're i don't you know you walk in to the festival and i'm assuming a lot of people are walking in you know not very exhausted yet from maybe a multi multi-day festival and maybe you're a little more sober than they're going to be in a few hours and so it's 
I, I've never really thought to like find the medical tent first. You know, it's like a first thing. It's a good habit. Do. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, we have a really special medical team here. We actually just got done working a an EDM festival, and uh, those patrons are really special to us because oftentimes the next day after receiving medical care, they'll come and bring our medics gifts. <laughs> they bring us food and uh, little knickknacks. So you know, we work really hard to foster that that bond and that connection because uh we want to be there and, and meet them where they're at we also know that that folks are going to be taking drugs and you know drinking and having a good time so uh, there's no shame in asking for for help um and it, it's it's a testament to our team the relationships that they create out create out in the field uh so much so that you know folks will bring them gifts uh, <laughs> thanking them for taking care of them when they're at their worst well, I appreciate uh, you guys jumping on with me and talking about this stuff. I think it's uh, it's obviously very important and um, will hopefully give some attendees a little bit more to think about when they're going out to things as well as people putting on maybe things that are a little more DIY or, you know, organizers as far as what should be in place to, to make sure nothing crucial happens because it's like... Yeah, I just can't imagine like throwing an event and and feeling the burden of of something unbelievable happening and just knowing that there could have been ways to to avoid those issues for sure. So Yeah, well, it was great to visit with you Dan. I appreciate you having us on. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I said, I will put the links in the episode notes. Um Guys, we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program. It means absolutely nothing. It's just the way that my grandfather says the news program. He always, like When he refu- refers to anything that's like a TV show, he never says program. He just says program for some reason. And like I said, it means absolutely nothing. It's just a, a goofy way to to end the show. So if we could get... The code for, you know, Jonathan and Scott, it's a program. We can properly end this. Sure. It's, it's a, a program. program. They nailed it, everybody. That's uh, Jonathan and Scott from Code 4. I'll put all those links in the episode notes so you can uh, keep up with what they're doing and inquire about their services. And I think it'd be good to play. Usually we play the episode out with some music, so... We should maybe play play it out with a band from from Austin, Texas, in in your parts of town. So I want to play it out with this uh, this track from the band Good Looks, who I just got to see on this recent tour, and this is called Almost Automatic, and that's the Jelly Jams, and we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, Austin, wherever you are listening from. Cool guys, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Head out to some West Texas town Pull a car over, watch the sun go down Baby, I'm just happy I could be here with you Try not to race it all of my heart wants to
Give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their longtime support of this thing. Make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. You can also find the link in my link tree in my Instagram bio. Big thanks to Distro Kid and the other sponsors of the show. Stay up, stay tuned. <laughs>